God's grace chases us. Okay. Mark 8. How are y'all doing? Good. <laughs> Does anyone, when they're looking for, for a book in the Bible, sing the song in your head? Kind of like doing the ABCs. You sing the ABCs to know where the letter is. Anyone ever do that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what I have to do to, in order to remember where they all are. Okay, that was supposed to be funny, but I guess it didn't go over that well. Maybe, apparently we are the only ones that do that. <laughs> Everyone else knows exactly where everything is. <laughs> yeah, it's the Southern Baptist. It is the Southern Baptist. Is anyone else, were they former Southern Baptists? Oh, see, that, see, welcome to the South. There's a lot of you. All right. Mark 8, 4. Then the disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? <laughs> you realize this is after Jesus has fed the 5,000? Just saying. How many of you have had the Lord come through in areas of faithfulness in your life? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say. And then something comes up in that same area of faithfulness, and all of a sudden you're going, well, how are you going to do this? What are we going to do? Well, don't worry, because the disciples did it, and so I'm like, well, if they were actually around, like, physically Jesus all the time and could do it, then there's grace for me to ask that question, too. So they're saying, so now Jesus is getting ready to feed the 4,000. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their, uh, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from the far. Afar. Disciples answered him, "How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness?" Jesus has already fed the five thousand when they're asking this question. See, on the pursuit of your call, God is not phased. by your moments of exception to the rule. What is the rule? The rule is God is good, God is faithful. God is an abundant provider. Okay, but I'm two months behind on my mortgage. I know all those things to be true. The rule is, is I wake up and I declare the truth over my life. I declare it, I speak it, I read the word, I worship through it. The exception to the rule is after you get off the phone with the mortgage lender and you hang up the phone and you go, what are you doing? But don't miss this. Don't live in the exception to the rule. You live in the rule. See, what I love about this is Jesus is unfazed. He just asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gives it out. See, there's so many times in the Bible where Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says, you have little faith. He says it all the time. Like People question him on stuff. The disciples don't do something. They can't do something. And he's like, are you kidding me? Do you have no faith? Can you imagine hearing Jesus say that to you? I'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but here he's not. He's unfaced. He's unfaced. He said, I have seven loaves. He breaks it. They sit down. They eat. 
going after the pursuit of your call. It's like, Bishop Garlington, how many of y'all know who Bishop Garlington is? Oh, he's awesome. He preaches with, what's his, Clarence? Clarence. Oh, on the keys? Yeah, it's really awesome. It makes every preacher wish that they had somebody travel with them and play the piano. And every time you, like, made a good point, the piano goes up. (laughs) Incredible. Amazing. You should look up Bishop Garlington if you don't know him. But he says, he goes, we go from glory to glory, but man, there's sometimes hell in the hallway. And it's true. We do. We go from glory to glory, but sometimes there's hell in the hallway. How many of you have dreams that have been unfulfilled? How many of you had all your dreams come true? If you have, come pray for us. You want to lay hands? Be great. (laughs) See, the truth is, is we weren't ever meant to have all of our dreams come true. Not really. Because how God crafted you is when one dream comes true, he gives you a bigger one. He wants you to constantly be chasing the more. He wants you to be full, but never satisfied. In the pursuit of his heart and in the pursuit of your call. So if you're in the hell in the hallway, if you're going from glory to glory, the rule on the hell in the hallway, worship him. Turn on worship music. Turn off crap music that's going to fill your head with junk. Just do it. Don't get me wrong. I love country music. I'm like, I'm a country music junkie. I love it. I don't really like the other kinds of music. I did when I was a teenager, but I got filled up on enough booty dancing music in my teenage years, and that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) But country music, man, I love it. But there's seasons in my life where my soul can't handle it. Media outlets. Protect your eye and your ear gates. Protect them. Especially if you're in the hell in the hallway. See, God will give you grace for different things in different seasons. How many of you, you'll go through a season where maybe you can't handle bad language in a movie? But then sometimes you could watch like a war movie and you could handle the bad language. Have you all ever had that happen? Yeah. If you don't listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, this doesn't feel good, the hell in the hallway is going to get a whole lot harder. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, I need you to cover yourself right here. Okay? Grace covers us going after our call. Covers through, through our pursuit of our call. See, God is a big God. I think of the moment when Jesus was on the cross and he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Now I understand don't miss this. Heaven turned from him and heaven will never turn from you. But everything Jesus did wasn't for the one intent. There was significance to everything. Perfect example. The guy who was blind, he spits in the mud. We all know this story. Makes pace. Puts the mud in his eyes. Okay, spit. Why did he do that? Well, because back then, In this time period, in this time frame, in this place, it was common for beggars and and people that were disabled, they would be spit on. So them being spit on was like the most degrading thing you could do. So you have a blind man who now has Jesus in front of him and hears the noise of him going, 
the noise he's heard time and time again. Because the very thing that was keeping him in bondage was the thing that the, Holy, that the Lord used to set him free. Who knew that? Jesus knew that. So everything he did was intentional. Everything he did was for a reason. It wasn't just because he needed to make paste. So Jesus is on a cross and he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because for, at least for me, when I've had moments of exception to the rule, knowing that Jesus knows what it feels like to feel forsaken. Are you really forsaken? No. But have you ever felt forsaken by God? Has anyone ever felt that? Yeah. You feel forsaken. And somehow knowing that Jesus knows what it feels like to actually be forsaken makes your soul feel like you can get through it. Okay? Hebrews 12, 28, you don't need to turn there. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God with reverence and godly fear. For God is an all-consuming fire. See, grace is not a right to sin. There's a whole grace movement of people saying, I'm going to do... I'm going to watch pornography and I'm going to smoke pot and I'm going to do all these things because the grace covers me. That's absolutely inaccurate. Grace postures your heart at a, at, a, at a place of reverence and holy fear of the Lord. And if you're not feeling reverence and holy fear of God who is an all-consuming fire, then you're not tapping into grace. You're tapping into something else. Grace is not a right to sin. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm going to read that again because I just want to make sure you got it. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is an all-consuming fire. When Bob and I were in Africa... Last year, we, we spent some time with Heidi and Roland in, in uh, Mozambique, and, and Bob had a stomach bug, which, is there water? I have some water. Which stomach bugs in, I'm going to have you open it. Uh, stomach bugs in Africa, not awesome. Stomach bugs anywhere, not awesome. Stomach bugs in Africa, really not awesome. And so Bob gets a stomach bug, and the, the, this guy comes who's a, a missionary at, at the iris space. Because at the same time of Bob, Bob's stomach bug, the toilet clogs up and starts to overflow. Mm-hmm. Real awesome, huh? So it's overflowing and it's going down the hallway of this house we're staying in. Yeah. Real fun. Memories. <laughs> So it's going down the hallway. So we call this guy, and he comes in, and he's a missionary at the Irish base. He'd been there a couple of years. And so he comes in, and he, no gloves, barefoot, just digs on in there. That's all I'm going to say about that. And he, yeah, you're like, thank you very much. And he cleans it all out. You're a plumber. 
It's awesome. And he cleans it all out, like cleans the toilet, cleans the hall, does the whole thing. And the whole time he's doing this, for probably 30 minutes, he's singing, I have the best dad in the whole world. (laughs) The whole time. Now, I don't know about you, but when I clean my clean toilets, I'm not singing that song. I'm not digging on it. Not fun. But this guy comes in, cleans up, you can imagine, and the whole time is singing, I have the best dad in the whole world. Why? Two reasons. One, because he gave God a radical yes and moved to Africa. His call was to be a missionary. He said yes, and God gave him the grace to do even the most mundane, nasty things with peace, hope, joy, life, and future. To where even the mundane is not mundane. It's not he's the lowest point on the totem pole, so he has to clean a toilet. No, he's getting to serve the Lord in something as simple as cleaning out a toilet. Reason two, it's because he understands, there's an understanding that no matter what you're doing, your life is an act of worship to the Lord. If you're in the marketplace, if you're a stay-at-home parent, Whatever your job, title, role is, it's an act of worship to the Lord. And it's no more significant, no less significant than one of us standing up here with a microphone. It's an act of worship. And he understands that, and he's tapped into the fact that everything I do, I can worship the Lord in and through everything I do. God covers us through going, through our pursuit of going after our call. How y'all doing? Y'all doing good? Awesome. Grace carries us through our seasons. How many of y'all have heard people talk about the and suddenly God? A couple of you, do I need to raise my hand to help you know to raise your hand? The and suddenly God. How many of you know there's a difference between suddenly and speedily? I'm the only one? Yeah, maybe. Suddenly, speedily. Difference, right? Yeah. Our idea of suddenly is speedily. (laughs) God's is not. And suddenly means we're walking this out. We're walking this out. We're walking this out. And suddenly he comes. And suddenly there's breakthrough. And suddenly there's a shift. And suddenly provision is there. And suddenly healing is there. And suddenly. It's not and speedily. I told you all yesterday, January of 2013, my my mom passed away. And she died of breast cancer. I was an only child. We were best friends. We were super close. Um, She was kind and compassionate. She always put others before herself. 
And when she got really sick, we contended. And I mean, and we saw miracles happen. We did a, we wanted to send her to this clinic in Germany called His Place. It's just phenomenal. And they just bring people back literally from their deathbeds. And so we did, I did a fundraising push and in 48 hours, I raised $40,000. And we sent her to, to Germany. Um, we were able to get her, a dear friend of ours donated two business class tickets there and back. And so we sent her off to Germany. The plan was she was going to be there for six weeks. We sent my dad with her. And so we just saw miracle after miracle. She was there for eight days, and she was fading too quickly, and they decided it was no longer safe for her to be there, and so they sent her home. And then they get her home, and, and we continue to see miracles. There's another physician, not physician, he was a homeopathic type doctor in, in Texas, and and just phenomenal man, and he had also uh, had multiple testimonies of literally bringing people back, like doctors have given them less than seven days to live on hospice care, and he brings them back. And so we just saw the miraculous of favor of, of, of God's timing, and I knew she was going to live. I just knew it. Never once did I question, will she, will she die? Not once. And so, for the last five days, Bob and I were there with her, and of course, any of you that have seen a loved one pass away of something, especially like cancer, it's, it's grotesque on the body, and, and yet we were able to stay at a place of contending, and we lived our, our lives and our relationships in such a way, our relationship in such a way that I never had to have some sort of a goodbye conversation with her. There was nothing left unsaid. There was nothing that needed to be done. We just, we were best friends, and we were able to contend. And then she died. And I remember the moment that she died, I heard the Lord say, she wants to stay. I knew God gave her a choice. I didn't, I don't understand, God, God gives some people choices and other people's he doesn't. I, I don't understand that, and I'm not even going to try to, but I knew that he gave her a choice, and I knew that she chose to stay. And so I released her, and... Sat at the, knelt at the edge of the bed and just felt this overwhelming sense to worship my faithful father. It wasn't that I... There's times when I'll worship because I need to feel like he's close. And it wasn't like that. I mean, when somebody that you die loves Jesus and they go to glory, heaven is so close. I mean, it feels like if you could just... It's like just beyond your reach, there's this paper-thin veil that if you could just touch it, heaven is literally right there. And so I knelt down at the edge of the bed and I said, give me eyes to see more of who you are. May what I behold still my anxious heart. Take what I have known and break it all apart. For you, my God, greater still. And the song goes on and it says, no life, no death can ever separate me from the fact that I know you are a good God. And we fast forwarded and, and the year continued and we had uh, two deferred adoptions with two separate sets of twin 
babies. Um, we had cribs and embroidered blankets that got put in boxes twice. And our little baby Sadie Tate, the little bald wonder in the video, uh, she was born profoundly deaf. Can't hear in either ear. Our oldest son, Kate, is also deaf. Um, and so Sadie was born in December of 2013, profoundly deaf. And then sometime in the mix of that, we had the twins. And then um, 18 months and one day after my mom died, my dad went to glory. My dad was 59 years old when he had me. He was 88 when he died. And it was time. It was very different than it was with my mom. And I remember somewhere along that journey, I just, I had a, it was never a, it was never a questioning of God's goodness or his faithfulness. But it was just this several days, three or four days, which may not sound like a long time to you, but for me, I, I, like I said last night, I'm, a very, I'm an optimistic person. I'm a happy person. I, 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 don't like, I don't like feeling heavy, and if I ever feel heavy, I just figure out what it is, and I'm an inner healing junkie, and just let's work through it. And, and I just could not shake this. I could not shake it. And it was right before Thanksgiving, because I remember telling Bob, I'm like, I'm not going to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like, I'm not. I don't want to hear about so-and-so's new house that they're building. I don't want to hear about how somebody wrecked their car. I don't care. And Bob and all of his, like, grace with me is like, okay, baby, you don't have to go to Thanksgiving. I can take the kids. It's fine. Like, he's just being wonderful. And so I'm just telling you, I don't care. I'm not going to Thanksgiving. And I remember the Holy Spirit telling me, he goes, I want you to Google the five stages of grief. And I was like, Google the five stages of grief? But, like, isn't that, like, worldly? And is that okay to do that? <laughs> like, see, sometimes in our culture, we think it's not okay to not be okay. Like, we just have to be okay, right? So I Googled the five stages of grief, and one of the five stages of grief is depression. And I went, oh, it's a stage. That means I'm not going to feel like this forever. Thank you, Jesus. Like, it was so liberating to me to understand, like, I'm in the stage of grief that is depression, and it is a stage, and I need to give my heart grace to feel depressed. Now, did I live in depression? No. Do I accept it over my life all the time? No. But I need to give my heart the space to feel this emotion. I remember when my dad passed away and we were going to, we had, we had his funeral and it was a great service and Bob and I did the service, which was fun. And so we're heading to the funeral home, I mean to the, to the burial, or entombment, he was not buried, it was an entombment. So we're heading to the entombment. <clears throat> and the thing that's weird about walking through grief and loss is the fact that everyone else feels, seems like life is normal for them. Like, everyone else is just going about life. Like, don't they know what just happened to me? Don't you understand what I'm going through? Like, you're posting things that you're eating on Facebook. I don't care what you ate for lunch. Don't you understand? The world does not stop, and you don't understand why. 
And so we were going to the service for my dad, to the entombment. And we're riding in the limo, and they have the motorcade, the motorcycle guys that are stopping traffic, and which is just kind of brilliant to watch how they navigate that whole thing in the highway and everything. And I was doing really well. I hadn't cried a lot. I was, I was holding it together because, you know, I have my, like, minister's hat on, and we've got a... And, and then the guy at the front of the motorcade gets off of his motorcycle, and he stops. And he salutes the car. My dad was a World War II veteran. And he stood there. And we go in, and all of the gardeners, all the people that were working at the funeral home, took their hats off, put them over their heart, and they stopped. And then we get there, and he had an honor guard that did the flag and the whole thing. And we pull up, and in perfect unison, they stood with their feet together and saluted, and they stopped. And it was like for this moment, in this little bubble, time stopped for me. Time stopped for my grief. It, it stopped for my pain. It stopped for my dad. See, when you're in suffering and you're in pain, if you can invite the Holy Spirit into that place, you will see that heaven will stop for you. Heaven stops. And in that moment, it's not about your call. It's not about even necessarily worshiping him through it. It's not about anything you can do. It's just stop. You have to give yourself grace to stop. Grace carries us through our seasons, good and bad. But you have to give him access to be able to tap into that grace. Okay? How are y'all doing? All right, last one. Really quickly, have grace for other people. Just like what I said, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know where they're at. You never know what's going on in their life. You think they're just shopping at a mall and they could be shopping for clothes for a funeral for their child. We had very close friends that that just happened to. And you never know. Have grace for other people and always assume the best. When my mom went to this clinic in Germany, she was brought in and, and they did lots of organic juices and stuff and they had these big white tablecloths and a champagne flute full of um, organic, I think it was carrot and apple juice. And... She goes and she sits down and she reaches for the glass and she accidentally knocks it over. Now, how many of y'all have had that kind of a thing happen where you just, you know, it's, you feel awful? Well, and this is like carrot juice on a white tablecloth in a beautifully set table. And so my mom, of course, she doesn't feel good. It's been a long day of travel. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And the guy reaches down. He takes her by the hands and he says, baby, there is no guilt here. Stop. There is no guilt here. And man, that wrecked my paradigm. I thought about how I parent my kids and how I live my life, and I just thought, there's no guilt in heaven. So for him to tell her, stop, it's just juice. 
There's no guilt here. Have grace for people around you. Have grace for yourself. Y'all turn to Revelation 3. Well, you can turn there if you want. This one I know where it is. Super easy. Right in front of the index. (laughs) I don't even have to sing this song. My husband's laughing at me. In Matthew 25, there's a story, you can read it, but it says basically the premise, because you've been faithful with few, I can entrust you with many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So be faithful with what he's put before you. Be faithful with what he's put before you. I don't have time to go into a whole thing, but I just felt like it was an important little point to make. When we see him on that day, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But the word done is actually an action word. It assumes action. Now, don't miss this. When I'm talking about grace and stopping, there's seasons for that. There's moments. There's a time for everything under heaven. Okay? Time to be born, a time to die. We all know that. This is a different time. There's a time to get her done. If you have a dream in life of doing international missions, do you have a passport? Seriously. It's like, there are so many steps. Do you know that in the business world that you actually develop an entire business plan? People spend years, tons of countless resources, developing a business plan with zero capital, with zero investment dollars. And then you take it before the investor. And you say, I have everything in place. I have marketing. I have the campaign. I have the the technology. I have all of the things that we need. I have contingency plans. I have preparations. It's all done. But all of that is done before you get a big check. But yet in the kingdom, somehow it's like, well, I don't have money to do anything. So when I have money, I can do it. Maybe not in the kingdom. In the church would probably be a more accurate description. In the kingdom, for us, I think, if there's a hundred steps to get to here from from here to our dreams, how many of those steps can we do with zero dollars in our bank account? A lot. Trust me. We've done it. We're doing it. I mean, we're doing it. We have a nonprofit that we're developing. We're doing a six million dollar project. Do we have $6 million in our nonprofit account? No, we haven't even started fundraising yet. I think there's $300 in the account. But guess what? We have all the plans. We have a 70-page business plan. Because the truth is, if you're going after your dreams, God will rally people around you to help see that become a reality. But you have to walk it out. Well done. Done requires action. Okay. Last one, Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
That's a big deal, sorry. <laughs> my husband, he told me, I make this clicking noise with my mouth. I go, and he, he told me yesterday, he goes, baby, I have to tell you something. That drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course, then yesterday he did something to annoy me, so I was like, he probably actually should not have told me that. No, but I will work on it. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To him who overcomes. You were born to be an overcomer. You weren't born to have no opposition in life. It's your opposition that's going to make you strong. It's your opposition that's going to build character. It's your opposition that's going to make you who you are. So instead of looking at your opposition in a defeatist mentality, look at it as a bodybuilder would look at a set of weights and say, I'm going to take you. I've got this. And even if I can't do that yet, I can do a whole bunch of these smaller ones and I'm going to get you. Look at all of the things that he's done in your life. Look at all the areas that you've been faithful. Look at all the areas that he has been faithful. Those have been all your little weights that have been building and building and building your strength. So then when opposition comes, you're strong. All of the sudden, when you're at this place in your life, you look back and you think, Man, that little thing that wrecked me, like for me when I was in the fetal position five years ago saying, I'm done, this isn't a price I want to pay, it was over money. It was over money. Like we were homeless, we were broke, we, were, we couldn't afford, we ate peanut butter jelly sandwiches all the time. And I'm like, seriously, it was over money? How stupid is that? How insignificant is that? Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to minimalize it if you, if you have stress with money in your life. I get like, but... But I look back on that and I think, man, after walking through this, money just feels so not a big deal. But five years ago, it was a huge deal. Why? Because every time that we've met opposition, we've joined arms. We bring people around you that will hold your arms up. Bring people around you that will lift the weights for you if you can't do it. And understand that you're building strength. But you have to rely on his grace. You have to invite him in. And then it's just a process. You're developing a history with God. And that's something that only you and he can do. And it's a priceless commodity. It's a priceless treasure because him who overcomes, he will grant a seat on the throne I mean, don't miss that. He will grant a seat on the throne. Do you understand that? He will grant a seat on the throne. Hmm. So just know, next time you face opposition, all you're doing is preparing your seat on the throne because you're going to overcome it. <laughs>